Have you been the victim of unfair treatment by a business or a corporation? Has this ever happened to you? Hello and welcome back to the Turbo Team Podcast. We got a brand new intro from our own Ben Neeson. Thanks I for doing that, Ben. I contributed. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, but we are back, this time in different states, different households. I'm I'm back home. Alex is back in Paradise, Terre Haute, Indiana, back at college. And then Ben is upstairs in his own room. How are you guys doing on this fine Friday night? I'm thinking that we <laughs> just might. How are you guys doing? Good. Um, I'm feeling normal, which is lucky, considering I might have COVID, so that's good. Uh, ben, ben, do you want to so take us through the reason why you might have COVID? Uh, yeah, Mitch went to a wedding where no one wore masks. So, yeah, that was a good idea on his part. Now I won't be able to go to college for two weeks. Yeah, if you're listening to this, wear a mask, save a life. It's not that hard, people. Don't yeah. don't get married. Don't ever get married. It's stupid. Even during a pandemic, don't get married. It'll affect people like me. Yeah. So moving into today's movie review, we watched *Raising Arizona*, a film directed by the Coen Brothers, starring Nicolas Cage. It is actually recommended to us by Eric and Kim Neeson, Ben's parents. It's I think their favorite movie of all time. They've never said that. No, if it's I don't even know if it's their favorite movie of all time. They're never clear on that. They just have an affinity for it. Yeah, they love the movie. I liked it, but we'll save that for the review. But anyways, Ben, do you have your synopsis for us? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Uh, Raising Arizona uh, takes place with a fast-paced farce about an unla- uh, unlikely pair who go to extreme lengths to have a child. When an incompetent robber marries a policewoman, they discover... Our, uh, this is all like... I didn't have a synopsis ready at all. Yeah, we can tell. yeah i I kind of forgot all about the synopsis until like i started the show yeah thanks for that reminder jake so i'm kind of just i'm getting back into the hang of i don't know being over skype again i'm sorry organized yeah sorry to all of our listeners that have to deal with us over skype instead of in person no kim (laughs) neeson no kim neeson cookies for this show yeah we're not crowding in my basement but anyways raising arizona it's about this couple, one of them gets out of jail. The husband gets out of jail and then finds out that his wife is infertile. They can't have kids. And then they see on the news the super rich family that has, I think it's five kids. And then they come up with a plan to go kidnap one of them. It's a pretty funny scene where they kidnap them. And then they kidnap the kid. And then it's pretty much the rest of the movie is them trying to let everyone know that they don't have the kid, like that the kid's theirs. And then it's. Pretty much like the last half of the movie is like a big police chase and kind of like a MacGuffin of the baby. It's pretty funny. MacGuffin. What a yeah. word. Yeah, the biggest guy. biggest word used ever ever used on this show. No, Ben said Ben's had a big word during uh the Blade Runner episode. I forgot what it was. Duality. Oh, said. duality. That's not a big word. Well, I've never used it before. So I guess like our first segment. Letters. Our first segment of the day, best MacGuffins of all time. I'll start Ant-Man and the Wasp. I, I don't know what a MacGuffin what? is. So. 
Biggest MacGuffin, Ant-Man tries to find the Wasp the entire movie. I understood that reference. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I don't really know what Ant-Man and the Wasp was about either. I just needed that. I knew that it was a MacGuffin, but I don't remember what happens. I just needed an excuse to use that button. Okay, what does MacGuffin mean? It's like a search for an object or like a race for an object. Like it's that type of movie. Like, oh, like the, Race to Witch Mountain starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Where, where the MacGuffin the is Witch Mountain. Is Witch Mountain. <laughs> I don't know the official person. definition of it, but I know that's kind of like the broad idea of it. I don't know if this would be like a fundamental MacGuffin, but they're fighting over an object and racing to like get the prize. So it kind of is, I guess. Well, a MacGuffin's more like a lazily contrived reason for the plot to exist. So like, oh, we got to go and get this thing. Oh, we got to help out this guy so we can get us this thing. It's like just a super basic object that everyone's in search of. Um, I think uh, Nathan Jr. is a little more in depth than that, but we'll get to that after the ratings or not the ratings, yeah, the first impressions. The MacGuffin team podcast or the Turbo team podcast? Let's stop <laughs> talking about vocab and start reviewing some movies, would you say? Yeah, hey, so what do you guys like about this film? Ben, I'll let you go first because you have the most history with it. This was Alex and I's first time seeing it. I don't even want to know how many times you've seen it, Ben. Uh, believe it or not, not a whole lot of times. Uh, my parents have constantly quoted it. And I don't know, I might have seen it when I was in middle school or earlier, but you guys know me. Wouldn't remember that. Ben's um, parents <laughs> quote, quote, Raising Arizona, and then Ben just gives a pity, haha, yeah, and then an eye roll as he continues <laughs> making a quesadilla in the microwave. <laughs> haha <a> me <laughs> uh you're gonna go crazy with those buttons jake uh it's yeah but yeah <laughs> uh, the most recent uh memory i have of watching raising arizona was about a year and a half ago uh when my parents sat me down and made me watch it again uh i didn't really pay attention as much as i did back then because i didn't have a podcast to review it for but i just kind of saw it as like uh just one like one of those crazy 80s movies that my parents always love like peewee's playhouse or like i don't know <laughs> strange brew or black sheep shawshank redemption you know one of those wacky <laughs> 80s movies <laughs> 80s shawshank 80s oh wait no shawshank might have been 94 never mind I don't know. wait okay. are you sure it was either 84 I... or 94 this was sporkle trivia night at smash Bros. oh yeah in front it of was the program. 94 what are the odds that Raising Arizona predicted the the prison escape scene through the sewer? <laughs> Shawshank ripped off Raising yeah, Arizona. Yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> I, Which I thought, one did I it better? I didn't think about that. Uh, yeah, I say. Uh, I thought it was supposed to be like a like a spoof, like a parody of Shawshank, but it was its own thing. I say Raising Arizona. They had more cathartic screaming, twice as many actually. John Goodman appearances in Shawshank Redemption, zero. John Goodman appearances in Raising Arizona, probably countless. <laughs> what? Oh, you're just priceless? Um, I, yeah, I, I accidentally said priceless. Okay, thanks for our new sponsor for the Turbo Team podcast, uh, Visa MasterCard. <laughs> get your Visa MasterCard today using promo code TurboTeam to get 20% off your purchase. Okay, we got way <laughs> off topic. <laughs> 20% of your purchase of a Visa MasterCard. You gotta pay for a credit card. Uh, yeah, so yeah, what, what did you guys like about this movie? Ben, I know we kind of cut you off and went off topic. Um, 
yeah rewatching it um i remembered specific shots from the first time i watched it like i remember there are a few pov shots that like kind of like didn't really match with like the normal shots that they were doing throughout the film but like they didn't nece- they weren't necessarily jarring either it kind of gave a nice perspective especially the one where it's uh the biker uh, driving out of hi's dream and then he like drives up like over their lawn and through like the ladder and in the window and like into like the screaming uh mom's like mouth like that was cool <laughs> those are just specific shots i remembered but coming back and rewatching it i just picked up on little things like the dialogue like being specifically witty and very like white trash southerner but like in an admirable way not like in a oh well I'm just watching another Duck Dynasty episode type of way. <laughs> Duck Dynasty isn't a white trash. Those men make more money than the three of us combined. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because we make so much of us combined. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Duck Dynasty was really the the comparison, but I see what you're saying. More like a Trailer Park Boys. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Or like even Tiger King. I know okay, I'll get hate. About, I know I'll get hate. Ti- I'll know I'll get hate for making tiger. making that reference, but. <laughs> That's the point Ben was trying to make. Okay, chill out. That was just the first show I could think of. But yeah, I remember that from my first watch, and then rewatching it, I admired the dialogue more. Uh, some of the shots were <laughs> were done really well. Like I remember specifically just uh, after they find out that Ed is barren. Like, they're just very apathetic. Ed's just, like, standing there in front of the mirror for, like, ten seconds holding, like, a razor. And then it cuts to Ed, and she's just, like, sitting, like, in the most casual, like, position with, like, clothes strung all over the room. I don't know. I thought just, like, specific uh, visual comedy aspects of that worked really well. This movie was very Coen Brothers. Like, like, there's two different kinds of Coen Brothers. There's... Like, No Country for Old Men, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, uh, Coen Brothers, and then there's, like, Burn After Reading, Hail Caesar, Raising Arizona, Coen Brothers. And those three are, like, more, like, goofy, while, like, there's a concrete plot and, like, story, but I think, for the most part, they're just trying to, like, have fun while telling a story, compared to, like, No Country for Old Men or Buster Scruggs, where they have, like, a set agenda and, like, a deeper story, and don't really focus on the humor as much. And like you said, this movie's very, very witty, and, like, a lot of the humor is yeah. very casual, not very in your face, which I which I thought was uh, kind of a new thing compared to like today's comedy, where it is like you can tell they're trying to be funny, not witty, you know. <laughs> is everything just gonna be like a litmus test compared to the interview now? Whenever we do comedies. Yes. Yeah. The if you're suck. worse than the interview, you should never make a movie again. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's a very very low bar. I got other points, but I'll sure we'll get to them eventually. Uh, Alex, you have any takes on this? Uh, just like I said, I mean, I liked it. I thought Nick Cage had a good performance. It was kind of a different Nick Cage than we were used to saying. Number one, he's significantly younger than anything we like. He was like he's only 23 in this. And Ghost Rider, he was uh, no. And, uh, what's the one? National Treasure. Yeah, National Treasure. He was 40. And the, when the first one was made, he was 43 when the Ghost Rider was made. And so we're kind of used to seeing an older Nick Cage. So it was kind of weird seeing a young Nick Cage kind of in a more goofier performance. His, like, body movements were, like, really funny, too. Like, 
I think it's probably the most iconic scene of it. What like the very first scene where he's getting his mugshot and they just like throw him in and he just like awkwardly stumbles in and then stands straight up. Like that was funny and like his hair was always like messy. His hair was never done. <laughs> that was always funny and obviously the mustache made him look creepy. So it was yeah. it was interesting seeing Nick Cage in this type of performance where it's not necessarily where we're used to seeing him in. And I I, I really liked liked him in this movie. Yeah, his character was very endearing like the entire time. Yeah. Also, so I have a question. Do you? Oh, actually, Jake, you go with your positives, and then I'll I'll get to my question or what you liked. I just overall thought that this was just like an enjoyable movie to watch. Like it wasn't, it didn't change anything. Like it wasn't a milestone by any means as far as comedies go, or as far as movies go. But I just thought like everything about this movie was enjoyable. It was a simple story, but also I thought it said a lot about families and how you can like how how you can plan stuff out but it's not going to go right and what's mm-hmm. really important is just being together i thought that was a pretty cool underlying message and i thought that the ending was really good the ending was a lot better than i expected and i think yeah. when i when i watch comedies for the most part i kind of just expect a super cheesy ending that i'm not going to like and you could argue that this ending was cheesy but i i enjoyed it and i thought like the scene where they were bringing uh, Junior back to the crib and the, the dad crib finding university. him. Yeah, taking him back to the crib <laughs> university. And the dad finding him, I thought, was really good. And then the montage of him growing up was incredible. I thought I thought it was a super very, heartwarming ending to a pretty lighthearted movie. A yeah. Very La La Landish at the end, in a way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it actually was. Just it was dreamt. It was the movie that shows kind of the ending that you want, but not the ending that you get. I yeah, I didn't think about that, Alex, but you're dead on with that. Uh, I'm what always was the thinking. Question you, what was the question you had? Um, did you feel bad for uh, Nathan Arizona? Nah. The, because he was the one whose kid got taken. I mean... Like, maybe a little bit, because at first you just think he's, like, one of those, like, business-only type of guys. Like, when the cops originally come, uh, they ask him which son was taken. He's like, uh, I don't know, Nathan Jr., I think. <laughs> yeah. And then he's, like, still plugging his store the entire time. Oh, no, it's a business dad. <laughs> <laughs> hate that. It's the Lego movie. Oh, uh, the, when... <laughs> the uh, scene where they yeah. where they are interviewing him, and then as he's, like, walking away, like, Oh, we can get you half off or whatever. Like we can get you yeah. fully loaded on Arizona furniture. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was really funny. That <laughs> scene stressed me out. Just like three different people asking him questions at the same time, and none of them are answering like his <laughs> questions. I was like, it was stressing me out. Uncut gems that. flashbacks with that. No, Uncut gems <laughs> didn't stress me out at all. That's why I didn't like it. We've, didn't we've been on this. We've been on this. Raising Arizona stressed me out more than Uncut gems ever did. Uh, yeah, but what you were saying about the dad, uh, when he said that, and I don't know, when he's like plugging a store, you start to think, I, I don't know if he cares all that much, but when Leonard, uh, the big burly guy, like comes in and like asks him questions or like, inter- like intimidates him a little bit, uh, you start to see that he like does care actually. And then like mm-hmm. at the end when they're returning the kid, uh, he reveals how much he like loves his wife. And like, obviously this is distressing her. So like, I feel like he'd really care that nathan jr came back safe at least yeah 
Like, yeah, I was kind of with you, like, in the beginning. Like, in the beginning, they said that they, like, wasn't she on, like, some, like, it was some, like, pill that, like, made her more fertile than, like, usual, and that's why they had four yeah. kids. Yeah, so it's, like, I was, I was actually kind of confused in the beginning. I thought that they were giving away, like, two or three of the kids because they didn't want them. I don't know. It was what? weird. I was, that's what I thought it was, but then it ended up not being that, but, but... So, and then, like, as the movie went on, I was like, oh, he actually does care for his kid. And now I kind of feel, while I was rooting for, you know, Nicholas, uh, for uh, Herbert and Ed, now I'm kind of hoping they get back. And it kind of put me in the in a pickle as a viewer because, like, do I root for these guys even though they're kind of bad people? Or do I wish the kid goes back to the parents that actually want him and, like, miss him and love him? Or, But if, if he stays with Herbert and Ed, then he, I know he's going to be in a loving home, but also kind of maybe a broken home in a way. And if he goes to back to uh, the Arizonas, then maybe they're not going to give him the full attention he needs because they're so busy and they make so much money and whatever. So it's it was, it was an interesting dynamic. Yeah. What did you think of the soundtrack? I'll be <laughs> honest, I wasn't paying that much attention. I mean... I do remember that. I, I love that. I love that like <laughs> montage and all like the chase scenes. I oh, thought it was yeah. amazing. They only, yeah. they only played this twice, and it was... Uh, the title drop, which is amazing. Like, I think the beginning slash like the t- the beginning up to the title drop is like one of my favorites ever. Oh yeah, the title drop that mm-hmm. that's like an Atlanta esque title drop. <laughs> yeah, up there with like, Barry, then. Up there with Barry. Okay, that's different. That's a TV show. But so. I think <laughs> like the way they deliver like all the information, setting it up, like keeping you entertained, like for the first like seven minutes or so. And then, like, just establishing, like, the whole setting. And then as soon as, like, you've done, gone through this insane montage, they just, like, zoom out and, like, the titles show up and, like, that track starts playing. Like, you start to get, like, invested yeah. into it. Like, you real... It kind of puts you in the mood, like, to be involved with the environment, like, from there on out. I did like how they set the movie up and then, like, got to the actual story. Like, they gave you all the background info, showed you, like, here's the rules of the movie, here's the here's who the characters are, here's their role, and then, okay, here's the story. I did I did really like that. Yeah. And then it was also used in the, uh, like, the Midway Huggies uh, robbery, <laughs> yeah. where he, like, start, tries to rob that gas station, and then it doesn't work, and then he's just, like, chased for, like, ten minutes. <laughs> I love how everyone's just shooting, like, insanely, like, the entire time. Like, the cops are leaning out of the window and just shooting, like, every two seconds. Like, even yeah, though like there are the, people everywhere. He's, like, sitting on the windowsill and just, like, shooting. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. The funniest... Love, oh, sorry, Jake. I was going to say, I just love, like, the shootouts and all the chase scenes. I thought, getting into my negatives, I just wanted more of that. I thought that was amazing, yeah. like, running through the store... Yeah, and yeah. just just like him robbing the store, and when Ed drove off, <laughs> just like everything in that scene was done really well. Mm-hmm. The when they were chasing the two convicts, I can't remember their name right now. It wasn't one of them Leroy or something like that. Uh, John Good. Give me a second. Leonard. Gale. No, it was uh, Leonard was the big like apocalyptic the, guy. The oh yeah. yeah, it was yeah, Neville and Gale. Yeah, like when they had the baby 
and they forgot him. Like I know that it was just like a yep. super like cheap, easy way to make it funny. I thought they I thought they executed it pretty well. And I thought that was the funniest part of the whole movie. Just when they forgot <laughs> uh, Nathan Junior. The first time, the first time before they robbed the bank, when they got, when they, when uh, he tells the cashier, he's like, all right, now get on the ground and count to like, it was like 827 and then count back. Oh, yeah. And then again, <laughs> then just failing in the background, you just hear the guy counting and then they like, drive off and then and the guy's like, all right, I'll be back in five minutes and you better be done counting by then. And so they drive off and then they realize they forget the baby and it's just them screaming while John Goodman does like a U-turn in the middle of the road. And they're driving back and they're screaming the whole time and you just hear Finley the old man and he's like 816, 817, 819. And then he gets to like 827 and he gets up and he's like, son of a bitch. And he looks over and he sees the car coming and then he gets back down and starts counting back down to zero. I thought that was I thought that was the funniest part of the whole movie. That, that made me laugh really hard. Yeah. Was there any negatives you guys had about this movie? Unless oh, was I, there any I, I positives before we move to that? I had one more positive. I thought there was a few like really nice shots in it, like especially towards the beginning. I thought just like the sunsets in Arizona, and it's Arizona, so it's naturally a beautiful place. So I thought there was some and just really good, just like cars just driving out of like a dirt road, and there's just like a sunset over like the the canyons or whatever. I, don't know, I thought there was some good nice shots in it. Okay, uh, the last few positives I had, like, just that I wrote down, uh, they were good with really comedic shots and editing throughout, like, when it was a hard cut when his boss ran into the cactus, uh, after he punched him, uh, that was funny, and then when it, any, any scenes with the kids, really, when it would show them, like, when the boss would yell at him to stop beating up his car, and it just hard cuts to them just beating the crap out of his car, (laughs) <laughs> or <laughs> when they were just running yeah <laughs> when they were running around the house and then he just looks over and a kid just writing fart on the wall and he's like yeah he's really good with his abcs yeah. <laughs> uh that and like even there's this uh one scene uh where the where the two inmates who broke out are just like sitting eating cereal but they're like doing it very lazily and like milk's like like falling out of their mouths and stuff. Oh, that scene was and disgusting. And they're just staring at Ed while she's like feeding the baby milk and they're just staring back at each other. Like I don't know if there's a meaning with the milk or anything, but I thought it was just kind of funny and like that, showed a nice contrast between the two. The cereal in that scene looked so mushy, I gagged watching it. It grossed <laughs> me out. This did this movie give off a little like Oh brother, where art thou vibes? Well, it's so the Coen brothers. I, it's the same directors. Yeah. I know, I know, but like, did did you feel like they were kind of the same movie a little bit? Inmates, uh, yeah, banjo-y music. Like that goes the banjo-y back music, and I thought I thought like the wittiness of the two convicts, convicts specifically. Like I thought, I thought that seemed very like Oh brother, where art thou? Yeah, that goes back to what I was saying about the Coen brothers earlier. The Coen brothers, like, have their own, like, different types of films they make. Like, some are serious, like, No Country Old Men. Some are kind of goofy, like, Raising Arizona. And some are just straight-up weird, like, Burn After Reading. Like, their movies definitely fit into, like, a few different categories. And, the, and Old Brother with the Art Thou and Raising Arizona are probably in the same category. Yeah. Of just kind of, it's kind of, you know, it's they're more witty than funny, and it's just kind of... The characters come from like a weird background, get caught in a wacky situation type of thing. But you've seen Burn After Reading, right, Alex? 
Yeah, I've seen Hail Caesar too, and I think they're pretty much the same movie. I don't know. Burn After Reading is kind of amazing, and you always crap talk on Hail Caesar. <laughs> I know. I just like I don't dislike them. I just think they're weird. I like the Coen Brothers. I just think these two movies, those two movies, are just like weird, but they're not yeah. bad. Brad okay. Pitt's character, Brad Pitt and John Malkovich and Burn After Reading are hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, uh, that was like, uh, I love Glenn and Dot's kids. They're really funny. Just like throwing stuff and ruining their house. Um, the Huggy ben, robbery. Ben, <laughs> they reminded me of your cousins when we were in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> they reminded you of Sean and Evan a little bit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll wait till my parents hear this and then I'll see what they think. <laughs> Friends of the remember, program, Kevin Eric Neeson. I remember we were like in the basement and they like wouldn't stop throwing things at us. And like, bro, we're just trying to play <laughs> UFC. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, I love the huggy robbery at the midpoint. Uh, just like the fact that it escalates the entire way from leaving the convenience store to running around the neighborhoods, eventually getting chased by like 15 dogs and then like getting thrown into a grocery store where they're like dodging screaming ladies and like the cops are like firing so many shots into the crowd and that's just like very funny like the entire time and then i didn't really read into all of it but the whole deal like what'd you guys think of leonard smalls he was like the apocalyptic mad max on a bike type of guy i thought that was hilarious it was so it was so random but yeah. it worked for me. I was going to say, that was like the most out of place thing in the movie, but I still thought it worked. Like, it could have completely done without that, like that Hitman type person in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I thought it added to the comedic effect, just like with his bicycle, with the music when he was in there. And then, like, the dream was so funny. I loved the dream. Mm-hmm. When he was, like, blowing up bunnies and, like, shooting lizards and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That was so funny. <laughs> I mean, I thought, I thought Leonard, they, like, I agree with Jake, where, like, it was unnecessary, but, and the, but, like, it was unnecessarily funny, but, like, I don't know, like, while, while Jake thinks, well, I think Jake's besides more with, while it was unnecessary, it was, like, it, he was glad it added, like, I could have done without it, personally, I just thought it was, like, this movie's weird, like, no offense to your, <laughs> your parents, I know it's your favorite movie, but it's a weird movie, and I think that added the weirdness, but I think that made it over the top a little much, but that's just me, I, I didn't dislike it, I just, like, right. I probably could have done without it. It definitely could have done without that plot point. Yeah, but I like, thought it was, I thought it was humorous, it was humorous enough to stay in the movie. Yep, right. yep. Yeah, but, like, there were just lots of different things to read in about Leonard, uh, like... H.I. makes a comment like, I feel like I released him somehow. And then throughout the like movie, uh, he has like different tattoos and like he has the same tattoo as H.I. like with the Roadrunner. And then he also says like, I'm sorry when he has to explode him. Yeah, thanks, Alex. <laughs> uh, there are different like things that you could read into that, like whether he's like him or he's crushing a certain side of him to be with Ed. But I don't know. This was like, I only had one really recent watch, but that was just something that I think was neat and that you can read into more than you can with other comedies. Yeah, so what negatives did you guys have about the film? It's weird. 
<laughs> That's your negative. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't have a ton of negatives. Like, I, I, like it was a good movie. Like, I like, I like the Coen Brothers. I like what they do stylistically. I like how they write movies. I love like everything they do. But it's just like, it, like it's just weird. Like, I don't know. It's not too weird for me, but it's weird enough to where like I could, I could consider it, consider it a negative. You know? Okay. I think it's very experimental, which can kind of... For the 80s, it was especially really experimental. Which could make it a little off-putting at times, but I I didn't feel like that. But I can see where where you feel like that, Alex. Yeah. Like, just where it feels straight up weird. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think while it doesn't look like it was made in 87, there definitely are times when, like, the special effects definitely make it look... And like the stunts kind of make it look uh, dated, you know. Like I like I'm reminded of at the end when uh, uh, her uh, Herbert's on the like he's like grabs a hold of the Leonard's motorcycle and Leonard rides away. Like that scene looked yeah. like the stunts didn't look very realistic. It looked very 80s stuntmanish. So just at times it looked dated, which is fine if you're. I mean I'm I'm paying attention for those things for the podcast, but if you're just a casual viewer, I could see why that doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's fair. I honestly didn't really have that many negatives when I thought of the movie. Mm-hmm. Really? Like, I I didn't love it. Like, I didn't love it, but I also didn't have any strong feelings against it. Yeah, at the same I, would, time. I would agree. Yeah. Like, I'm sure... Like- I'm sure when you guys bring up points, I'll probably think of some things, but, like, when I was watching it, there was nothing that... I was like, wow! I did not like what they just did. I yeah, guess yeah. some of some of the action uh, they could have been more creative with, as far as like you said when they were riding on the motorcycle and just like dragging his face across, or even when they were running through the stores. I thought they could have done they could have done different things in that chase instead of going through like two different stores. Like they could have gone through a cactus field or something like that. I'm just yeah. like thinking off the top of my head, it could have been a little more creative in in the chase scenes because the music was incredible during it. But there mm-hmm. could have been some more creative stunts, more practical stunts, I think. Okay. Was this the Coen Brothers' first movie? No. It was, was like it? it was like their fourth or fifth. It wasn't. It Damn, wasn't like one in the fifties. Holy cow! I didn't realize they were. I didn't realize they were in their sixties. Jeez. Uh, they had one in '84. They did True Grit. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, anyway, this was '87. Yeah, I think their first one was '84. Wait, did they did Unbroken? I don't think they did. Okay. Anyways, uh, this isn't the Googling Directors Podcast. Oh no, never mind. Angelina Jolie—they're credited for it. Well, anyways, for yeah. a director, uh, for negatives, I don't know. I was kind of along the same lines as Jake. Like just thinking about it today, I really couldn't pick one off the top of my head. Like, there's nothing like specific that you can narrow down and say you disliked. Um, I just would think that. Uh, like you said. <laughs> That's a chunky. Hit the button, hit the button, hit the button. That's a chunky. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I just don't really have anything specific that I want to pick out. Um, maybe just some of the dialogue when they're like trying to have heart to hearts or like when they're like contemplating whether they should stay together seems redundant, but that's also my two and a half. It's my second and a half watch. So I've like, I've seen this and I know what happens. Um, the dream sequence at the end kind of drags a little on for me, but maybe that's just cause like, I wasn't the biggest fan of it. Like yeah, I was, it's about, it was about I the same as the La La Land one in length. Yeah, but the La La Land one is also one of the greatest endings of all time. Very true. Yeah. Uh, this one, it just seemed like... I mean, it made sense on paper. It just, like, I don't know, it might have been the very simple premise of, like, seeing, like, Nathan shove off, like, two football players and then score a touchdown immediately. Or just, like, them, st- like, sitting, like, at the head of a table, like, while their family eats. And things like that just seemed, like, I don't know, sort of slow, like... They didn't really end it off with a bang. Like, it just kind of seemed like a small little... I don't want to say whimper. That's kind of demeaning. But just, like, a little bit of a... Demeaning. (laughs) uh, A little bit of a halt before they finally ended it. But that's just me nitpicking at this point, honestly. I'm with you guys, too. I I think it came across like I had, like, genuine negatives for the movie. I was just... uh, Those were just if I had to pick something. Like, I think... This movie's a lot like Palm Springs with me in the way that I don't like. I liked it, but I like it wasn't my favorite. I, it was a very, very kind of a safe movie, you know. That's, that makes sense. That's the exact word I was thinking. I was thinking safe but experimental at the same time. Yep. yep. It Which didn't. I, I think it didn't this, take very many risks, but it also didn't. It also wasn't like the safest thing possible. Yeah, I think this is the Coen Brothers' second movie, so if they were playing it safe, that would not be a surprise, especially if they were given a bigger budget, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would be interested to to hear Eric and Kim's perspective on this now that I've seen it. Because yeah. we, talked about it, we talked about it the other night, and just how when Eric went with his sister in 1987, like, they thought it was the funniest movie of all time. Yeah. And I, like, I, I thought this movie was very very funny mm. but it also didn't it didn't leave a deep impact on me by any means yeah and i'm what sure if i like if i rewatch it i think i'll be able to quote a few more of it like i i loved all the lines like yep that kid's a convict just yeah, like yeah yeah he's got those eyes yeah like i thought that was like a, a, a pretty funny recurring joke when his boss brought him out to the desert to t- tell him that he's swingers and he wants to sleep with his wife. Yeah, that was so funny. <laughs> and that's just one of those plot points that they could have done without, but I'm glad they put it in there because it was just like it was just free laughs. I thought that was great. How we kept making Pollock jokes. Yeah. Well, then it came back, and that's kind of what like pushed the story along in a way. Was his boss threatened to like, you know, take him to the authorities? Yeah. Well, yeah, that was relevant. Yeah. So yeah, I, they needed to find a way to make consequences in this movie. Yeah. Outside of the obvious, like they kidnapped a child. Yeah. <laughs> I think the comedy. Well, you gotta you gotta think like it's 2020. Like we we didn't grow up in the 90s or 80s, so we don't understand like with like how different comedy was back then. The only way we understand it is number one through our parents, and number two through like forms of media we see. So, like 
well, well, this isn't the funniest thing to us. Like it, back then, this could have been the funniest thing around, just because like it was something new and fresh and witty. No one's ever really seen it mm-hmm. before. Compared to today, where like you show me a meme of Ben Shapiro or a video of Ben Shapiro uh, saying the WAP lyrics, and I'm gonna die laughing because that's so stupid and that's funny to me compared to like witty humor, you know? Yeah, the considering how much people died at Ace Ventura when it came out. Are you not an Ace Ventura fan, Ben? Nah, I haven't seen it. The Coen Brothers kinda looks super kind of annoying. The Coen Brothers didn't. It looks, it didn't, looks annoying. <laughs> the Coen Brothers didn't grow up with Kevin James in the MCU, so they didn't really. <laughs> Wait, what? I understood that reference. <laughs> Kevin a, James. They have a completely different grasp on comedy. What does Kevin James play? Zookeeper. I said Kevin James or the MCU, not in oh. the MCU. <laughs> Kevin James in the MCU? Who? Who? Oh. Iron Man? Kevin, he'd, be re- he'd be recasted if, as Happy. No, no, in a uh, in FN Endgame. What if instead of like when it turned to Fat I'm Thor, it was just Kevin James instead of Chris Hemsworth? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they ended the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> He's just on that stupid, like, mall scooter. <laughs> the Segway. Just... It's like a really bad fake wig and beard on. <laughs> You've got a beard. All right, there's, I understood that right. there's our Marvel references for the show. We were pressing the other ones, but that one happened organically. Yeah. Do we uh, have any other negatives before we get into our rating? I don't. No. Do you guys have a favorite scene? I already, I already said mine about the, uh, the going back counting. to the baby. Yeah, and the counting. <laughs> yeah, uh, I kind of. Well, Jake, you go first. I really liked the intro, but I know Ben's gonna say that. No, so I had two I, in mind, so you pick whatever one you like the most. Yeah, I'll probably go with the intro then. I thought it was beautiful, and the most memorable part of the movie, I think, is like. Just the title screen. I thought it was amazing, and mm-hmm. I liked how it. I liked how it wasn't pointless and how it built up to like what the movie was going to be about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was really good. I brought it up earlier, but I also brought up earlier the Huggies, like the <laughs> I keep calling it the Huggies chase, but just like that robbery scene at the midpoint, I thought that was done really excellently. Uh, I disagree with you guys about the action a little bit. I thought. Having like 15 or so dogs like run through the streets and then run into a store. I forgot that about like, that. That was really funny. That was technically yeah. impressive and like comedic all on its own, and I thought that was great just by itself. And also the music, like you said, that also plays in the title. <laughs> yeah, that. Do we want to get under our ratings for the film? Uh, sure. Ben, do you want to go first? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll start it off. Uh, my parents sucked this up for a long time, so, and I never really gave it, like, a full sit-down watch where I had to take notes for a podcast, uh, but I give this a strong eight. I'll give it a, I'll give it a seven and a half. Yeah, no, I'll, just, I'll give it an eight. I liked it. I really did like it, so I'll give it an eight. I'll also give it an eight. I was going to... I was gonna go with the decimals at 7.75, but I <laughs> I changed my mind. I I I really like this movie, and my rating system is pretty messed up as it is anyways. Eight point zero. I'll definitely <laughs> give it a rewatch. 
but there was yeah. a lot of things like there wasn't really anything in this movie outside of maybe H.I. and uh, Ed's relationship that will like drag the second time watching. I think everything else will be just as enjoyable. Yeah. Yep. Well, that is going to do it for Raising Would Arizona like Talk. The, mu- the music playing the whole time? No, I was I was going to turn it off once I <laughs> oh, okay. was done with Raising Arizona. All right. Keep it going. Right. But yeah, that's going to do it for our Raising Arizona Talk. And now we're going to transition into our favorite director of all time, kind of a last-minute segment that we thought of before we started the recording. Yeah, we're professionals. Not yeah, really. so I'm going to start with Alex. Alex, who's your favorite director of all time? Oh, you're putting me on the spot, man. Well, I want to give two honorable mentions to, number one, the Coen brothers. I really love the Coen brothers. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs came out two years ago. That's probably a top 10, 15 film of all time for me. I thought it was so creative, so well done, so executed. Uh, and then my second, so I love the Coen brothers. And then my second, and obviously they made my favorite movie of all time, No Country for Old Men. And then my second one, honorable mention, is uh, Christopher Nolan. Uh, I think if you want to talk about best directors working right now, I think he definitely has to be in the conversation. Uh, everything he does is like, he does like, the best he possibly can it's obvious he spends a lot of time writing and you know directing and producing all of his movies and he really cares about it so i love nolan but if you want to talk about my favorite director of all time i gotta go with kind of a uh, kind of an kind of an unpopular uh pick uh quentin tarantino so <laughs> yeah so i know it's kind of mainstream to pick Tar- i know it's kind of mainstream to pick tarantino frat boys love saying it Frat Boys love we got a wall of flower over here. Frat Boys love saying two things. One, Quentin Tarantino's the best director ever, and number two, no film is better than Wolf of Wall Street. So this one's for all you business majors out there. Um, sell me this pen. Sell me this pen. But <laughs> We're just going to keep making it louder. <laughs> So I love Tarantino. I think he does a lot of things great. I think he definitely puts a lot of time and care, and it's obvious. I think he cares more about his films than anyone working, which isn't a slight to anyone else, because I, I know most directors care about what they put out, but I think Tarantino, it just feels like he especially cares about it, and that's obvious, by the way. He's proven to be kind of a toxic director to work with, and you know, some and uh, actors work with him once and then don't want to work with him ever again, but uh, I know he's kind of a questionable character, but... When it comes to movies, I think he does a great job. Uh, Hateful Eight, uh, Inglorious Bastards, it's my second favorite movie of all time. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. There's just he also like you can name any one of his movies and they're you know at least a seven out of ten you know except for Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown sucks, but Whoa. I don't like Jackie Brown. So anyway, Tarantino. Yeah. So I guess I'll go next. I'll give a couple honorable mentions. Number one, Paul Murphy. His work on Darkest (laughs) Dusk was incredible. Wait, was Uh, it Paul or was it Gavin? Paul's the official director, I think. Okay, I gotta look this up. Gotta look it up. Until then, just say PG-13 Productions. Yeah, PG-13 Productions. They have not missed yet on anything. What does Uh, a 13 stand for? I, I think, I think it's just, just kind of like Paul a play. <laughs> no, I think it's a play on like the movie rating system. Like, oh yeah, R. yeah, but like I didn't know if like the 13 stood for anything, and that's why they. Oh, picked. I don't know. I'm the P is for Paul and the G is for Gavin. I don't know. <laughs> and then, <laughs> whoa. My other 
Honorable mention is Andy Fickman, director of Paul Bart, Mall Cop 2, <laughs> and The Game Plan. The guy who did The Game Plan? Yeah. Shout so, out to Fox, friend of the program. Dude, did some research for this. They both made my top five. But number one, I don't know, this, this is definitely going to get some hate. I'm just going to say George Lucas. And not his actual... <laughs> Not his actual work, like directing movies, but his work as like creating the greatest movie franchise of all time that will probably always be there in Star Wars. I think something that can't go unmentioned. And I've actually heard really good things about American Graffiti. I've never been able to see it. But the reason that this is extremely debatable is because his actual work as a director, as far as like directing movies goes, is very shoddy. And Charlie's like a melody. <laughs> That's got to be a button now. But it's <laughs> it's just uh, it's debatable. But he did also make the greatest movie franchise, greatest universe of all time. And he also made Indiana Jones yeah. also, which is this one. I thought he made Indiana Jones. I looked it up and said the directors were uh, Spielberg. Spielberg, direct, he helped Spielberg directed them, but uh, it was Lucasfilm. So thought. he he came up with the idea of it pretty much. And then. I, I that's actually another one of my actual honorable mentions, Steven Spielberg. He made just every single movie from the 80s that like your parents showed you. He made like Jaws, all the Indiana Jones, uh, Saving Private Ryan. Like he made all those movies. E.T. Yeah, E.T. And just I think that. Do you ever seen E.T.? You ever seen E.T.? I don't really care to. You know, I like it. Much. It's not amazing, but he also directed Jaws. But yes, Spielberg will be an honorable mention, but I'm just going to go with George Lucas. Okay. Um, number one, favorite director of all time, Jordan Peele. He makes the best horror movies. <laughs> all two of them. <laughs> Friend of the program, Joe Minkie. Future Survivor. Future Survivor? Oh, yeah, I forgot. It's coming on soon. Okay, yeah, coming soon. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, you guys were doing honorable mentions, so I guess I'll jump on that train too. I'm surprised you guys didn't bring him up, but uh, Damien Chazelle. Yeah, I. Mm-hmm. Whip I had him up low. there, but I didn't. I didn't want to make four honorable mentions. Yeah, I thought, who does that? Me with Damien Chazelle is I think he has two really, 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 really good movies, and then it kind of falls off. And that's, I mean, no, first that, that's, man was like a B minus or something yeah. or a B. Like La La Land and Whiplash are like, like La La Land's definitely a masterpiece. Whiplash is close to one, and then like it falls off compared to like Nolan and the Coen Brothers, where I think and and Tarantino, where I think they have such consistent filmography throughout their careers. That's why. So I didn't mention Damien Chazelle. Although well, he's also, also he's yeah. also got a very small body of work. Yeah, that too. Those guys he's have a only track 35. record. Yeah, but going yep. off of who I'm most excited for, if it's a Damien Chazelle movie, I'm there. So that's just what I mean by that. I mean, Giselle's only directed four movies to this mm-hmm. point, and two of them were in my top six of all time. Do you like Whiplash that much? Whiplash yeah, is Whip- really good. Whiplash was actually in my – it was in my original top five, and it got bumped out to number six when because we updated them last week. Galaxy. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> yeah, did it overtake reference. Guardians? <laughs> I understood that uh, reference. Yeah, you already said that. Um, Jake's favorite director is J.J. Abrams because he did Endgame. <laughs> or whatever. No, he didn't. The Russo brothers did Endgame. Who cares? Oh, okay. Endgame okay. sucks. <laughs> Still going. Um, my next uh, honorable mention uh, is going to be 
It's the guy that Jake doesn't know how to pronounce, uh, Denis Villeneuve. He's <laughs> he has released absolute. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna say that word. He's got, he released absolute bangers recently. He uh, his most recent film was yeah, I said it was uh, yeah, we <laughs> Blade Runner 2049, which we covered. What was it last time on the pod? Uh, no, he also two released, episodes ago. Yeah, whatever. Uh, he also did Enemy. He did Prisoners. He did Arrival. He did Sicario. He's an excellent director that I'm very excited about, especially since he's doing the new Dune coming out, starring Alex. Hey. Hey. <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited for Dune, and Denis Villeneuve is definitely in the honorable mentions. Uh, the last one in the honorable mentions is Martin McDonough. Um, not Martin McDonough. Yeah. Uh, Martin McDonough is an Irish, I believe, a screenwriter. I, yep. Uh, who originally just like worked uh, in Broadway, and not necessarily Broadway, but just producing and screenwriting uh, plays. But then he transitioned to film uh, once every four or five years, I believe. There's a big gap between his films, but he's released In Bruges, Seven Psychopaths, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri which are all excellent films, and I'd recommend to anyone who hasn't seen them. Um, yeah, and he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't release a whole lot of movies, just like Chazelle. He doesn't have a large body of work, but he don't miss. So, yeah. And then finally, uh, this one's uh, another favorite of Alex's, but my uh, favorite director of all time is Edgar Wright. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> Let me a favorite is- of mine. Mr. Scott Pilgrim himself. Oh, yeah. The movie sucks. <laughs> I know. That's the joke. Uh, yeah, it's but a good movie. Baby Driver. You seen it? I've seen Baby watched Driver. watched it, yeah, yeah. And Ant-Man. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't do reference. Ant-Man. They fired him from Ant-Man because he wanted to be weird with it, and they well, couldn't accept that. Well, he's credited with it on Google, so. Oh, yeah, because he came up with all the good parts. Marvel be like, okay, let's direct this movie, and then the guy thinks of something creative. Okay, get off this set right now. <laughs> Good reference. I understood that reference. Stop it. He's <laughs> <laughs> too uh, powerful with the button. Yeah, he must be stopped. But he, yeah, he's released great movies. Uh, five of them, I believe, so far. Yeah, five. Uh, he had the Cornetto trilogy, uh, which made me fall in love with Simon Pegg. Uh, they're amazing movies that I think you guys should watch if you haven't seen them. Kind of sucks. You haven't seen them. Uh, <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen a few. I've seen... Wait. Shot of the right? Dead, The World's End, and Hot Fuzz. I've seen Hot Fuzz and Baby Driver. So. Okay. That's not a part of it. Uh, he also did Scott Pilgrim, my favorite movie ever, and then he also did Baby Driver, which are also excellent films. All right. So on the top of the directors, I think we... I was just thinking we forgot... Uh, I forgot one. David Fincher... Um, I think I thought of him, but I didn't just. Say I think it. Fincher. I don't know. This might be kind of a hot take, but I don't. I don't care. I think Fincher is as close to a modern day Spielberg as we got, as what? far as far as body of work. I think he's created a ton of films that just completely crush it on initial release. Maybe not to the, not to the magnitude of a Spielberg film like a E.T. or whatever, but they've like like Gone Girl, Social Network. Zodiac, like all those movies, just absolutely killed it when they were out, and they still age really well too. So, I think at Fight Club, I think David Fincher has a has a great body of work under his belt, especially like his top movies. I don't know if all of these were like huge on release. 
don't know. Because he did Alien 3. Gone Girl, Uh, Dragon Tattoo, Social Network, I know, and Fight Club were all really, really huge when they came out. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was? Yeah, that was huge because there was a book, because it was based off a book, and the book was really big at the time. Okay. Okay, whatever. I'm surprised no one brought up Martin Scorsese. Yeah, I think Scorsese's more of... I, I throw him in an honorable mention. I think... I love a lot of his movies, and he's got a great body of work, a con- very consistent body of work. But, like, I, I don't know. I just don't think he – I think he sticks c- to kind of his own script a little more than, like, a Tarantino or That's a Nolan or, or a Coen Brothers, you know. Well, uh, what's, imp- what's impressive about Scorsese is Taxi Driver came out in, like, 1976, mm-hmm. and then he released Wolf of Wall Street in, I think, 2013. Yeah. So just, like – the fact that his body of work ranges from such a vast period of time is extremely impressive. Who were we talking to the other day that didn't like Taxi Driver? That was me. Nate. It was me also. I didn't Thank love you. Taxi Driver. Oh, I love Taxi Driver. You love it? I loved it. I thought it was really good. I thought it had a good... Uh, You're a good enthralled eight. by those first two acts? I thought I, this is good... getting off topic, but I thought Joker was better. I, thought it, I don't know. Man... I think they do it differently. I think Joker's mental illness. I think Taxi Driver is toxic masculinity. Masculinity. Huh? I think it. I think Joker takes a ton of what Taxi Driver did, and like they kind of just redid it. There's definitely if, a lot. Of, yeah, I would agree. There's a there's lot. There's a of ton of similarities. Yeah, similarities. Yeah, definitely. I would agree. But I think. I think if you're saying one did it better than the other, that's not kind of right because I think they're both tackling different issues. I think Joker's like the I think like I said I think Joker's more mental health and like here's what happens when you don't pay attention to it don't take care of it don't like give sympathy mm-hmm. for people and like try to help people while Taxi Driver was is just a man feeling like he needs to protect women at all times and I think it's more about toxic masculinity while his mental health isn't the greatest I think that's not the main point I think the main point is he feels like he needs to protect all these women which isn't true that's where toxic masculinity comes in where he feels like he needs to be the man and you know take charge of everything when that's not true women can handle themselves just fine you know that's fair that would yeah, have anyways, to do with him almost assassinating a political figure. Yeah, well, that has to do with the mental health part, but well, no, it doesn't. It does have to do with the toxic masculinity because uh, the the woman that he's in love with works for the political figure, and uh, and like he's saying, like he thinks that the political figure is the like one thing keeping them like apart. That okay, whatever. I haven't watched it recently. It's good. Uh, Let's get ben, on to our last segment. Ben, I have a question for you. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, didn't you used to say Wes Anderson was your favorite? Yeah. Oh. Do you want to explain what happened there? Um, honestly, I just didn't think of it until just now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, Wes Anderson's definitely up there. Uh, I read a list earlier today, uh, like ranking all of his movies. And looking back on it, I honestly haven't seen a whole lot of his work. I've seen like four or so films, like. Four or five? I don't know. Anyway, he's released like 14, and going through that list, I have a lot on my bucket list now, but I realize that I need to watch more of his work before I can fully confirm that. Well, I think when you think Wes Anderson, you think Fantastic Mr. Fox, Grand Budapest, and Moonrise Kingdom. Like the rest kind of... And the the one with Bill Murray in the tank, whatever it's called. Uh, yeah. uh, I read this Aquatic. up earlier today. The Life Aquatic. Yeah. Put it, yeah. 
So apologies to Hairclog. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I just didn't think about him until just now. But I'll get back to you on that. Maybe I am in a pod episode. I am very excited for the French Dispatch, though. Oh yeah, I was so mad when I saw that that should have been released by now. It's such a good, it's got such a good cast. Oh yeah. <laughs> and Elizabeth Moss is also in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't like Elizabeth Moss? She's okay. She was good in Us, I thought. And you she's haven't good, seen it. And she's good in Mad Men. You haven't seen Invisible Man. She's really good in that. I don't want to watch that movie. It looks stupid. It's good. It looks stupid. It's good. He's the, oh, he's the invisible man. Oh, you can't see him, but if you put paint on him, then you see where he is. Oh, you've just seen that one scene? I've seen the trailer, yeah. He's all over, it used to be all over YouTube ads. Does he have paint on him in the trailer? She, like, kicks a bucket of paint, it falls on him, and you can, like, see where he is on the... Okay, I, <laughs> I didn't see the trailers, so when I saw that in the film, that ad genuinely scared me. That was well executed if you don't know what happens, but... yeah. Another reason why I hate trailers. Trailers? <sighs> you know what I mean. All, All right. right. Well, Do you guys so have any other directors that we didn't hit on? Um, Adam Sandler. All right. This has <laughs> been the Turbo Team Podcast. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in as always. We will be back pretty much on... The consistent recording on uh, Thursday nights episode on Friday mornings. Oh, I wait, think it's for Friday, the for it? the new future. Yeah, it is Friday night. Friday. It feels like a Thursday though. Night. I'm it thinking does feel like that. We just, just might. might. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, we want to thank you for tuning into the Turbo Team podcast. We will be over Skype online for the for next sure. few weeks, for the next few months. But we hope that you continue to join us. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Turbo Team Podcast. Our social medias are linked in the bio. Follow us on Twitter at the Turbo Team Pod. You can listen to all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform where podcasts are listened to. Thank you for listening.